Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Man in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as per usual, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? <laughs> um, well, not there wasn't quite as much up uh, before I went to Caleb Porter's press conference. Yeah, what was it- that about, dude? Like... <laughs> You're just like, you're just like, you know, Wednesday afternoon, just absolutely nuking us with bad injury news. Uh, Like you couldn't space that out a little bit. Be like, hey, I'm going to like wean you into this absolutely devastating injury report. Yeah, I just I just felt like I had to get it out there. But yeah, Caleb Porter surprised us. Um, You know, we we asked him about the updates for Ridgewell Nagby and he said, you know, we have some other injuries <laughs> and got into that as well. Um, I think we're going to go through all of them, but this <laughs> things are, are not looking up for the Timbers yeah. in, in many ways right now. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. We're going to sort of take a little bit of a look back and look forward on all of those things uh, here in a moment, but my goodness. Yeah. Uh, the whole like, Hey, right off like a bandaid thing is really better when it's, like, only a cut and when it's not, like, you know, a big old, like, wound kind of thing. Uh, just keep that in mind for the future, Jamie Goldberg. Um, okay, yes, the we have a lot of soccer to catch up on. Uh, we'll start by mentioning briefly the, the, the Timbers lost to Minnesota United. That was after the last time we recorded, if you'll remember, because we had the double game week last week, so we recorded early. Uh, the Timbers lost that one uh, by a score of three to two. Kind of a crazy game. Uh, did not have much or anything in the way of rhythm. Uh, had a lot of wild occurrences, a couple own goals, uh, penalty, a couple red cards. Yeah, so it was sort of all over the map. Our prediction's not super good. Uh, Jamie, you called a, a 2-1 win for the Timbers and a David Guzman goal. None of that happened. I mean, I guess the Timbers scored the two goals, but not really in any context that was, you know, helpful uh i called a 2-2 draw again you know i guess i was less wrong on the result uh and also got the number of goals but again not in any way that was truly helpful uh and i said sebastian blanco was going to score another goal and instead he did of doing that he like kicked a guy so um yeah (laughs) that was basically that game uh i don't think there's much point in sort of uh rehashing that in 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 significant detail here here to here today here today today uh, anything you want to say about that, Jimmy Goldberg? Are, are you good with everybody just walking away with zero points and, and, and moving on with our lives? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we had a different opinion of what was going to happen in this game, uh, given 
for the second game in a row, the Timbers were playing the then worst team in MLS, um, given how well the Timbers had done against Minnesota. <laughs> and, and and for the second game in a row, yeah. turning them into not the worst yeah, team exactly. in MLS. That really takes something. That does really take something. Yeah, um, I think it, it might make more sense to talk about that game in the context of uh, the Seattle game as well, because I think this all speaks to the trend, <laughs> the direction the Timbers have been going in lately. Yes, and there is a definite trend uh, or direction that Timbers have been going in, in lately, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday evening, we found out at 7.30, uh, the Timbers drew the Seattle Sounders 2-2. The Timbers were, of course, leading that game uh, at, at halftime. They went a man up just before halftime. Uh, they came out in the second half and put out a big old stinker uh, and, and did essentially nothing. Uh, through the course of the second half, despite being up a man, uh, Seattle scored late by way of a Clint Dempsey header, drew the game 2-2, uh, and and the Timbers found a way to snatch a draw out, out of the jaws of victory. Um, you called a 1-0 win with a Diego Valeri goal. Nah, none on any of that. Uh, I called a, a, a 3-1 win with a Dirona Spria goal, and I just want to point out that there is like an alternate universe in which the Timbers do what they should have done. And that is like a hundred percent on the money, right? Like you're, th- uh, yeah, you know, I'm probably sitting there. If I'd remember this, I, I always forget my predictions to be honest. Uh, but, but if I'd remember that, like going into halftime with the Timbers up two one with Espria already having the goal in the bank, I'd be like, Oh, I got this. Like, this is my week. I, I'm once it again, I think for what would have been the second time this year, uh, hitting one like right on the nose. And then the Timbers decide to come out and just go all like, you know, uh, terrible on us. And so that didn't happen. Uh, I did get the Espria goal right, though. So I'm going to give myself I, I, that's, a, you know, I, I think it was what his fourth or fifth goal in a Timbers uniform. So like that's a, a not nothing side bet. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give myself nine point eight seven points uh, for the effort, even though uh, the, the result went wonky on me. You got any problem with any of that? a lot of points for a side bet there but uh, but it, but it's an Espria goal it's not like I call like an Audi goal or something like that right okay whatever yeah <laughs> yeah give me some credit over here give me some credit so um I think the maybe the best way to start this discussion is by throwing it out there like this what the heck happened and why does it keep happening <laughs> yeah um it, it it's it's hard to figure out exactly why this keeps happening. I mean, the Timbers put in a good effort in the first half. Um, Sounders took the lead, but the Timbers fought back. They went in a man up and they scored that first goal on the penalty kick and then came right back with the Espria goal to kind of um, take the lead before, before halftime. That that was a good job from the Timbers. And that's kind of the attitude you expected them coming out in the second half with the, the same mentality, the same their goal should not have been, and I, it wasn't. It's not what Caleb Porter wanted them to do, to sit back, to let Seattle get back into the game, anything like that. They Their goal should have been to find the third goal, put the game away, put it to bed, and, and call it a day. And they weren't able to do that. And we look at the Colorado game um, a week, uh, a little over a week ago, I guess. Um, similar situation where the Timbers take the lead, and then the second half, they just kind of are, don't show up. Um, Minnesota, I, I don't think was really in the same way, the tale of two halves, but it was big mistakes in, in key moments, defense, not being good enough. Um, I think the defense is clearly an issue 
when you look at the number of the goals the Timbers have conceded, when you look at the types of goals the Timbers have conceded in, in recent games, the defense has not been good enough in big moments. And especially when you're looking late in games when teams are trying to uh, earn a result, uh, that's going to hurt them. Um, but I don't think that speaks to it entirely. Um, the attack maybe hasn't been to the level it was early in the season, uh, but they are still, I think they lead the Western Conference in goals. They have scored, I believe, at least two goals in four of the last six games. So it's not an attack that's completely getting shut down either. Um, Porter pointed to mentality, and I, I think that clearly is part of it. Um, the Timbers have to find a way to be better. They can't just disappear in games when they have the lead. They can't be complacent when, when they're in a winning position, in a situation where they're going to get the result. And whatever has happened in the last three games, the Timbers haven't been good enough. Um, when you look on the road in general, they haven't been good enough. But you take in the Seattle game, and that's coming home, a place where they actually have been good, uh, a place where they had a two-game winning streak uh, and had looked like a team that could beat any team in MLS at home, they do the same thing. Um, this isn't an injury issue. It We'll get to that going forward, but they had enough players to, they had some absences. They had enough players to be able to get a result against Seattle. They were in the right position. They were up a man. Um, and they just disappeared in the second half. Yeah, they did. They did just disappear in the second half. And, you know, I go back to a question that I think we addressed last time, which was, are the Timbers soft? And I mean, I, I, I don't see how you could say no at this point. I mean, it, it is just what it is. They are period. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at, at the season sort of long trend uh, of the Timbers late in games. And, you know, I mean, sort of on an objective, just like pure goal scoring numbers basis, the Timbers have scored six goals after after the 75th minute, which is a little bit above average. They've conceded seven goals uh, after the 75th minute, which is a little bit below average, but like not. I think the, the league median in that respect is like five. So it's not like way out of the realm of reasonable. Uh, you know, all told, the Timbers have probably been, I, I think it's fair to say, a kind of middling team uh, from the 75th minute on uh, in, in games, at least by that measure. And yet they have dropped eight points after the 80th minute and earned zero. They, every point they have earned, they have at least had in the 80th minute. They have nonetheless dropped eight points at, in the 80th minute or after by way of conceding goals. Uh, put another way. Of the Timbers' six goals scored between after the 75th minute, zero have changed a result. Zero, in other words, have earned the Timbers more points. That's not to say that they're not important goals. Of course they are. Insurance goals are important. And, and as Exhibit A, and maybe you can even call it Exhibit A through Z of that, is this game that we're talking about right now, right? Insurance goals are important. But of those, of those six goals, they've all been of the insurance variety and some like super, super, super insurance. Of the seven goals the Timbers have conceded, five have resulted in them losing points. And, you know, I mean, there, there is certainly an element of bad luck to that. There's certainly an element of when opposing teams throw numbers forward into the box, start lumping balls into the box, the Timbers center back questions in particular uh, get amplified a little bit. That is true. That doesn't necessarily explain why they're giving up so, 
you know, a, a, a ton of important goals. And you would, you would think if that was a huge weakness, you would see it sort of spread into the rest of the game more than it is. But it nonetheless is, is a factor. And I, and I think it's something that you can reasonably consider here. But look, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how you avoid the consideration that the Timbers are, are soft. They're just a soft team. They, they give up goals in bad moments because they're mentally weak. Uh, they don't grind through games when they need to grind through them uh, because they're mentally weak. They, they don't put sort of their foot on the throat of an opponent when they need to put their foot on the throat of an opponent because they're mentally weak. And so yeah, I think you, you have to sort of come back to that as well. And, and you know, and to, to be honest, I do think that was something that we saw in Minnesota. In Minnesota, they gave up uh, sort of a, you know, a, a poor but not like atrociously terrible goal early it's sort of one of those things that happens sometimes where, you know, a, a, a corner kick gets partially cleared. Uh, one of the, An attacking player gets it and drives to the byline line and puts just a troublemaking ball right in front of goal uh, where, you know, crud can just happen. Uh, and, and so that is unfortunate. The Timbers showed some level of resolve, I, I think is, is fair to call it. I don't know if I'm necessarily all that convinced by how much resolve but some measure of resolve I think is fair to say in sort of sticking with it uh and not falling apart after that and ultimately uh they get a little bit of good fortune and, and they're able to go up uh they're able to excuse me to to equalize by way of a, a penalty that was admittedly a, a Minnesota mistake but then they come after halftime and immediately immediately they give up a terrible goal uh <laughs> that is very much Going into halftime, you have an opportunity to, to, to be in this game now. You've got an opportunity to come out of the locker room and put your stamp on it. And immediately you give up a terrible goal. Okay, fine. The Timbers, again, like sort of battle back a little bit. Vitas really comes into the game after being subbed on at halftime. Uh, the Timbers get their second goal by way of, uh, you know, a, a sort of similar quote-unquote good own goal. They equalize. And very shortly thereafter, again, they immediately give up a terrible goal. And he, I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that you look at and you, and, and, and when you see it, it screams at you that this is a matter of a team being soft, that this is a matter of a team being mentally weak. You can see it in the week before in Colorado as well, how terrible they were in the second half after leading and dominating in the first half, leading one zero at halftime. And you can see it uh, in spades in this game against Seattle. This is a mentally weak team right now. Uh, and until somebody is sort of taking responsibility and taking the onus on themselves to change that, until there's a measure of accountability in and among the team, frankly, I, I, I don't see much reason to think it's, it's going to end. And so, I mean, you know, I, we, can, we can talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, but the, the way I read it, the Timbers have been in good spots to get good results, and they just blow it. And, you know, I... I don't know what else to say beyond that. I, I, I think that is certainly an issue here. It's certainly a factor here. Uh, what do you think about this week uh, in Portland? You've got the loss at Minnesota. You've got the, the bitterly disappointing draw against the Sounders. You've got the Thorns going to uh, Washington that we'll talk about in a moment and losing 1-0 to, to a bad Washington team, arguably without its best player. Uh, I mean, what about this week in sort of Portland soccer? Is it just a bad week in Portland soccer? Or is it like the worst week in Portland soccer? Can you, can you remember one worse than this? I, I 
think you're including the thorns, which I, I, I guess changes it a little bit. If when I'm just thinking timbers, um, simply because the thorns have a shorter season, uh, so this wasn't relevant um, in the week I'm thinking of. But I, I, I feel like the week last year where they got eliminated from CONCACAF, uh, eliminated from MLS playoffs, and had two of their most prominent players get a DUI in the span of five days. That that was pretty bad. <laughs> you're being you're being like very rational and objective <laughs> in a in a question that really just called for more screaming. Yeah, it was a bad way. So if you <laughs> if you could do a little bit more of that, that would be great. Fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there have been worse weeks, um, but this is really really bad um, from the Timbers' perspective. Like you said, it it's just shows a lack of the right mentality. It, it shows complacency. It shows all these things that Caleb Porter talked so much about in the off season and uh, talked about that being an issue last year on the road and, and wanting to make sure to improve that this year made, made a big emphasis in preseason, create a leadership council with the team. And they're running into the same mentality problems They're running into the same lack of leadership. And yeah, maybe Ridgewell's not on the field, but I, I don't think that's enough of an excuse. The Timbers have to be better and losing to the then worst team in the league twice in a row and, and then coming back and losing to your rival and in all three of those games, essentially be the reason you, I guess they didn't lose to Seattle. Uh, correct myself. It felt like it. But. We, I mean, we can say that. We can just say they lost. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's yeah. going to be bothered. It, Nobody's going to feel hard done yeah. by. They drew Seattle. But in all three of those games, the result is the Tim, essentially the Timbers' fault. It's because of the Timbers' mistakes. It's because of... Um, their poor performances in the second half, it, it's because they didn't come out in the right mentality. Um, so that's incredibly disappointing. And then on the Thorns side, it, they now have two losses in a row for the first time since July of last year. This is a team that was looking to be finally coming into its own, starting to make a run up the standings. Um, a team that you still hope can compete for uh, NWSL Shield. Um, but is starting to create a pretty big gap between them and the North Carolina Courage. Um, and you definitely want this team to make playoffs, um, host a playoff game. And the last few weeks have not been good. Um, the Thorns have not been the attacking team you want them to be, and they've dropped results. The defense hasn't been quite as good as it had been um, to the start of the season. So on the Thorns side, you have to see if they can pull out of that. I I'm much more confident in their mentality. Um, and, and their ability to kind of get out of this jam, but we'll see if they can do it, get out of this funk and turn things around. Um, on the Timber side, it's not clear to me when you have three games in a row where the coach is saying mentality, 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 and nothing's changing, uh, that it is going to be easy um, for the Timbers to turn things around. So very disappointing week overall for both sides, um, particularly the Timbers with, just all three of those games uh, just showing a lack. Um, like you said, a, a team that's soft and, and is not ready to compete in the big moments. And um, I don't think it's the worst week in Timbers history, but <laughs> I think if we, ha if we ranked them, it, it would go, it would go somewhere in the rankings for sure. It, it, it would make the Oregon live slideshow. <laughs> yeah. It would make the Oregon live slideshow. Oh yeah. I mean, so the sort of on an objective basis, that's certainly fair. I do think it's, it's definitely by far and away the worst week of the season. Yes. Um, yes, it is. And, and, and you know, it, it is, 
I, I think the, the point you make there is a good one about the Timbers, where it sort of gives you this kind of empty feeling as well, because you're just like, what? I mean, what is the fix? Well, how do you how do you fix this? And frankly, I, I think you can sort of see it uh, when when people ask. You can sort of see the look in Caleb Porter's eye where, when he's sort of just like, "There's something going on here that's that, that's not something that you, you go sort of in, into the video room. That's not something that you go uh, into the into the locker room and say this is how we fix this. It is certainly something that that has to to some extent at least uh, come internally and. You know, I maybe they can fix it. Maybe they'll pull out of it. Maybe uh, this will be sort of a turning point, uh, as a few players talked about after the Seattle game, where uh, they get their collective stuff together. But, you know, I guess I'm not super enthusiastic uh, about that. And so, I mean, in, in many ways, you know, the terrible week last year was the end of the season, right? And And it was a really bad, terrible, no good, devastating week that ended the season, this is almost like you're, you're turning around and you're looking at the rest of the calendar. And although this is, it is certainly hyperbolic and it's certainly one of those things that feels worse in the moment than it really is. You sort of look at the calendar and you're just like, how in the heck is this going to work? How the heck are they going to get through this? Um, and that's, that's not a good feeling. I, I, I think a lot of people have been talking about this issue and, and it is certain and we have a couple of questions sort of that talk around the subject. And I think it is, it is fair to ask, but in light of the, the, the issues, in light of the problems that we see, to what extent do you think this is this is a matter of Caleb Porter as opposed to something that really is just kind of on the players getting up and doing? I think it's tough. I, I don't get the sense that Caleb Porter has lost the team at, at, at this point. I, I mean, you see that in teams when a coach has lost the team and they just go into the tank. They, they don't look like they want to fight for their coach or their team at all. Um, that's not the feeling I'm getting here. This is a team that's coming out and, and doing everything right, doing exactly what their coach wants them to do for maybe 45 minutes or um, for spans of time and, and then disappearing in second halves or, or just not being good enough in the big moments. And I think part of that's personnel, that just the fact that the Timbers have issues on the back line, part of it is a lack of leadership. I, I don't know that they have as many, you know, fiery leaders as they've had in past years, but I don't know how much of this you can put, um, you can blame Caleb Porter with. I, I mean, obviously he has to do with the personnel, but you, then you have to bring Gavin Wilkinson into this as well. Um, but he's clearly been in the past able to set this team up for success. They, they opened the season as the best team in MLS. And even though they haven't been quite as good since then, they've been good in stretches. They haven't been as bad as, as like you said, this is clearly the worst week of the season so far. So I think coaches have to be accountable uh, for the performance of their team, but this isn't a clear fix. This isn't something where, and I think some people have pointed this out, but it, where I'm thinking, well, if he had subbed um, or something like that, that's the difference. It's Caleb Porter's tactics. I, I think he's setting his team up for success. He's telling them to go out there and play, go and try to find the third goal against Seattle, not play, uh, not drop back and, and just try to fight to get the two, one win. Um, but if the team doesn't go out and do that, at some point, there's not much else the coach can do standing on the sideline. Um, he can't go into the game. He can't really change the entire shape and tactics of his team. We don't have timeouts like like basketball or something. He can't 
draw up a brand new plan in the middle of the game. He has to hope that his players, he, he can yell a few things, but he has to hope that his players are going to execute. And he has to hope that there's going to be le enough leadership on the field um, that players will hold each other accountable when they're not playing up to the standards that they uh, are expected to. So I, I think at the end of the year, if we're looking back and the Timbers aren't in playoffs, there will be a lot of questions for play Caleb Porter. But I don't think based on this last week, the, the things I'm hearing about Caleb Porter losing the team or Caleb Porter should get fired or this is all Caleb Porter's fault is really all that fair because when it comes down to it, it he seems to be putting trying to put the team in a position to win and, and when it, the players don't execute, there's not all that much he can do about it. I, I largely agree. I mean, I do think it's fair to sort of lump the coach in among the other responsibility uh, when it comes to sort of these mentality and culture issues, certainly the coach sort of has a role in, in, in putting the locker room together, making sure the, the locker room is healthy. And, and, and so, I mean, there is some responsibility there. I think that responsibility is often kind of sort of an analytical crutch. Uh, when things aren't going wrong, it's really easy to say, boy, Caleb Porter's lost this team or uh, boy, he hasn't done a good job with this locker room. And that is often easier to say than it is supportable by fact uh, or, or supportable by sort of sort of knowledge. And so it, it's a take that I'm reluctant to 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 jump in full bore on. But I think the point you make about how they go out and they do things right, they 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 sort of execute well for stretches is right. And I think that's, that was very much the case against Seattle. Frankly, I thought after a little bit of a slow start in the first 15 minutes or so, uh, the Timbers were pretty good for about the last half hour or so or the first half. I didn't think, uh, as some have put it, that it was a matter of it just being sort of four miraculous minutes where the Timbers, uh, you know, went crazy and scored the two goals and and, and got the red card on Evans. I, I didn't think it was, it was sort of a matter of that. I thought the Timbers had a, a pretty long uh, period of play in which they were pretty good. Frankly, I, I thought Seattle's goal coming in the 29th minute was at that time somewhat against the run of play. Uh, I thought the Timbers certainly at that point had the better of it and had generated the better of the chances uh, to that point. And, and, and that, that was, albeit bad defense and, and a bad turnover by Darren Espria leading to it was against the run of play. And, and so in general, when I looked at that first half, I wasn't saying, man, this team looks lost. I was saying that was a pretty good half. <laughs> the Timbers by and large played well. Uh, even red card notwithstanding, there certainly seemed to be a goal uh, in, in there uh, for them. They got two. Great. They're up a man. They're up a goal going into halftime. Like, this is setting up really nicely. And, yeah, I, I, I just don't find it credible. Like, I would be shocked. I would put all the money in my wallet, which I'm not even sure that's a lot of money, but all the money in my wallet on the fact that Caleb Porter didn't say, guys, 2-1, let, let, let's defend the heck out of it. <laughs> In in the locker room at halftime, uh, that that he didn't say priority number one is keeping our our lines tight uh, or anything like that. I I guarantee you, just having covered Porter for a while, having covered covered the Timbers for a while, that in a rivalry game at home, his mentality at halftime was let's go put this away, let's go crush him, let's go. He is much much more likely in that moment to say let's go play these guys off the expletive field right now uh, than he is to say. Guys, let's make sure it's going to be. A, we're 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 going to keep this at one goal. 
let's make sure we're, we're, we're not going to let the Sounders score again. Uh, and so I, I don't find it credible that that was his approach at, at halftime. Uh, and, you know, I, I think they just came out and, and, and laid a stinker. And how much of that has to do with Porter versus how much of that has to do with the players not collectively sort of coming together and, 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 and getting it done, I think is a fair question to ask. Um, but I certainly think it, it has more to do with the latter than it does w- w- with the former. The, the way they came out, the, w- the way they were playing, their, their sort of general tactics, the way the team was set up, all made sense. And it was all basically the same as it was in the first half when they were very, very successful uh, and they had the added advantage of, being, of then being up a man. So, you know, I, 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 I think it's just awfully easy to sort of put everything on the coach and and it's sort of a convenient place to to, to place the blame, even if he he certainly is responsible uh, to a certain extent for for where the team is. It's awfully easy and it's too convenient to just say this is all Porter's fault. Porter out, and that'll fix it. I I think there are more issues than that going on, uh, and I think the players bear a lot more responsibility uh, than that puts on their shoulders. Speaking of players. There's a new one. <laughs> that was a really good transition. I'm proud of that. Uh, speaking of players, there's a new one. Uh, and that is Larry Mabiala. The Timbers uh, officially formally signed him on Monday. He is in Portland. He, he watched the game in Portland. Uh, he is in Portland now. Uh, he will be uh, training with the team for the next few weeks before he's eligible to play in, uh, come July 10th when the uh, transfer window officially opens back up. So he is here. He is back. Uh, what do we know about him in, in, in meeting him for the first time this week? Yeah, um, he seems like he's very enthusiastic uh, about being here in Portland. He actually, and I'll have uh, more info in an article up uh, tomorrow. I got sidetracked by the injuries that we will get to soon. Um, but um, he signed a contract with them back in March. So he's kind of just been waiting, watching the MLS games on MLS live for the last few months because he he couldn't get released from his team um, until now. Um, But he seems excited to be here. He had an offer in the U S in the past uh, that he had declined, um, but had still been interested in seeing if something else would come up in the U S. So I I think this was a place he had looked at before a league that he'd looked at before and um, felt like it would be a good challenge for him. And so he said that he's ready for the new challenge. He's, a player that when he went to Turkey, no one really knew who he was and he had to prove himself there. And he's coming in with the same mentality here. Um, People in MLS don't know him, but he wants to prove that he can be a big contributor in this league. So seemed like a really nice guy. Um, I saw your smile rankings. Uh, I, I was kind of joking by saying he had a smile as good as yeah. About charts. that, actually, you you said you said something pretty controversial. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, in saying that he has a smile that rivals Diego Chara's. That's I mean that that that's a bold statement, Jamie Goldberg, professional well, journalist. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was a Twitter what statement. Is, um, yeah, how do you back that up? I I I I think that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but I also okay. I'm okay. not I'm not Got sure if I agreed as much with your smile rankings. I I I think what I think I thought I thought my smile rankings yeah, but, were pretty different. But I, I think you're gonna have to. I, he he definitely smiles a lot. It makes you feel happy to be talking to him. So. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to see where he ends up falling on the smile rankings um, down the road as he, as he, as we get more pictures uh, and see more celebrations, hopefully uh, not uh, poor results as we've been talking about, but 
<laughs> not a lot of smiling happening recently. Yeah, not recently. But uh, I mean, he he won't be available till July 10th. Uh, the first available game would be that RSL game. I think that's on July 19th, um, if Correct. I remember correctly. Um, yep. And I, I, it'll be interesting. He'll have time to adjust in the next few weeks. I, I think it's probably likely that he would be available to play and would likely see minutes uh, start that game since he does have a few weeks to adjust. And given all the issues we're talking about with the back line, um, I don't want to say this is the answer because it might not be. We saw Steven Taylor last year. It, things do not always work out. Um, but this may be, um, this could potentially be the thing the Timbers need to kind of shore up their back line uh, and be a better defensive team um, going into the final half of the season. So uh, for what it's worth, I, I, I didn't get to talk to him this week, so I really have nothing to add, <laughs> as you did in that respect, uh, except uh, I will run down my, my Timbers smile power rankings. Uh, the number one spot, that was Diego Chara. Number two, Darlington Nagby. Uh, in, in third, uh, I put Dirona Spria. Fourth was, was Larry Smabiala. Uh, and then fifth was Sebastian Blanco. I, I, I like that there's like sort of something mischievous uh, about Blanco's smile. And so uh, I enjoy that one. Uh, I also had some, some shouts for, for Lawrence Olam, uh, for, for David Guzman. Uh, this is the wood bat division. Uh, this is not college smile power rankings. So no metal, uh, allowed in my, in my power rankings. That's disqualifying. Um, but that was a braces joke. If, if anybody missed that, um, <laughs> but, uh, so those are the smile power rankings. I, I, I think people, uh, you know, will, will like those. I actually am, qu- am quite confident in that list. I, I think that's pretty definitive. Um, let's do the injury report power rankings. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a terrible game. Why don't we just do the injury report? Uh, first with Liam Ridgewell, we found out a little bit more about him today. What was it? Oh man. <laughs> yeah. The, the injury report is not fun. Um, Liam Ridgewell remains haggard. Um, He has a quad injury. Uh, The hope was that he'd be back in training by now. Um, I was a little bit worried when I heard that in general, just because injuries have been something that have been lingering for him. And unfortunately he is not back in training yet. He, so he's out for this weekend. Um, Questionable for Chicago, but Caleb Porter really doesn't know at this point. He said it's not progressing as fast as they would have liked. So that's one we're going to have to follow. And unfortunately, Ridgewell, um, I believe, has missed exactly half of the games at this point. Um, so it's going to have missed more than half after this weekend. It, it's been rough um, for him these last two years in terms of staying on the field with these injuries. Yes, or not staying on the field, yes. uh, as the case may be. Uh, Darlington Nagby, this is, he, he went out uh, at about the 70th minute uh, against Seattle. It was reported after the game to be uh, just a tight hamstring. It, it wasn't entirely clear, and it sounded like maybe he sort of asked off the field preventatively to keep it from getting worse. Uh, so there was sort of genuine question about that uh, coming into the week. What did you find out about Nagby today? Yeah, he hasn't yet trained this week, so he's questionable for this weekend. Um, I, I think one of the worrisome things about that is that the Timbers leave for Kansas City tomorrow. And so it's hard for me to see how Nagby is going to be able to get back in um, in time. They might travel him and, you, and, you know, give him a look on Friday and see if he's ready to play. Um, but with the travel, I, I think that probably ups the chances, um, makes it a little bit less likely that he's going to be able to get into this match. But Caleb Porter called it questionable. Um, and 
once we go through the injury report, that could make a big difference uh, whether Nagby's in there in terms of what the Timbers are capable of doing with their lineup. So that is our first noob on the injury report. This is a, an injury report veteran now. Uh, Jack Barmby, he he is hurt. What's his deal? Yeah, Caleb Porter said he re-injured his calf, um, and so he's out another few weeks. He, he had returned to training last week, um, but now he's dealing with a calf injury and will be out for two weeks. So that's going to be two more weeks for Barmby. Uh, and then a couple more noobs on the, uh, on the injury report. Uh, first, Diego Chara. Uh, not, not somebody who sees the, uh, the injury list too terribly often, but nonetheless, here he is. What's his deal? Yeah, this one was, a, I think, a real blow to the Timbers, um, a surprise also to um, the media. Um, Chara apparently injured his hamstring. I believe they called it a hamstring strain during the Seattle game. I, I don't know at what point that happened. Um, but he is out for four weeks. Um, so he'll be out for the next month. And uh, given the Timbers depth at uh, defensive midfield, that, that could pose a real problem. Yes, that could certainly propose oppose a real problem for the Timbers. It is worth noting that, that after the Kansas City and Chicago games, neither of which are, you know, straightforward games by any means, the Timbers do have a week off and, and they're not back in action until that RSL game uh, on July 19th. So maybe venture to hope that Char is back by then. That seems, though, uh, based on the timeline given today, like it might be stretching it just a little bit. And maybe it might be closer to that Sunday, the 23rd trip up to Vancouver, or maybe even the 29th trip down to Houston for Chara. Um, and then the, the, the other recent entrant on, on, onto the uh, injury list is Amobi Okugo. What do we know about Amobi? Yeah, this one I, I think was a little bit more clear in the game. He has an MCL uh, sprain, I, I believe. Um, he went down late in the game. Um, and that could have been part of it. Uh, Caleb Porter did say he thinks the bulk of the injury happened when he was trying to defend Dempsey on that stoppage time goal. Um, so maybe he injured himself and then really aggravated it to a degree uh, that um, is going to keep him out for a substantial period of time trying to defend Dempsey. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, so that's a significant amount of time. That is a significant chunk. Uh, also missing uh, is David Guzman, who has now gone off to join Costa Rica for the Gold Cup. He could be gone potentially for a little while, depending on how deep Costa Rica goes into the Gold Cup uh, and, and the extent to which he stays with the team. He certainly seems like the kind of guy that with the Ticos would probably stick with them all the way through. Uh, he's been sort of in a battle, and, and, and frankly, it, it's been increasingly seeming like a winning battle uh, to get that uh, sort of the number six, number eight spot with the Costa Rican sort of first choice national team. Uh, and it, it, Rondal Asafaifa has historically held it. There was a little bit of a, a, of competition for that spot, but Guzman at this point seems to be uh, sort of the, the, the leader to be taking it over at, at least sometime this fall and likely before the World Cup uh, next year. And, and so... He is going to the Gold Cup. It's He certainly seems in line for a significant amount of playing time and to be in uh, their plans throughout the Gold Cup, which means he could be gone uh, potentially through that Vancouver game, which just more good news, right? Um, okay. Timbers at Sporting Kansas City. This game, we're really exciting. Uh, that's Saturday, 4 o'clock. Uh, SKC ha has their own issues. 
uh, uh, Matt Baszler, Graham Zusi, and Dom Dwyer were all cu- called up to the U.S. men's national team uh, and accordingly will miss the game. Benny Failhaber, I don't know if you saw it last weekend, but Benny Failhaber suffered a really nasty challenge from LA Galaxy's Nathan Smith uh, that looked like it could be sort of an ankle breaker in kind of the the the, the vein of uh, of a challenge of the type that uh, that Nigel De Jong put on Darlington Nagby last year. There was a lot of concern after the after the game that he may have broken his ankle. It sounds like, thankfully, uh, that is only a sprain. And so it is not going to be sort of a long-term injury for Failhaber. Nonetheless, it seems like he is kind of on the doubtful side of questionable for this game uh, for SKC. So they certainly have absences of their own, uh, which should give a measure of hope uh, for Timbers fans. But, but I think a question from Brian is sort of the central question in this game, uh, which is how do you expect Porter to deal with all of the absences for the Timbers? I mean, how are they going to line up in this game and, and, and go at SKC? Yeah, I think whether Nagby can play is going to make a significant difference in Porter's ability to put together this lineup. Um, If Nagby can play, I expect him to be in the number eight role in defensive midfield and the rest of the lineup will kindly kind of work itself out Um, with that. You'll, you'll see players in positions that you've seen before uh, with Gleason and goal, um, probably pal um, and Vita's at outside back Olam and Miller at center back. Um, Zemanski would come in at defensive midfield um, next to Nagby, and, and then you'd have Espria Blanco on the wings and Audi up top uh, and Valeri um, at the number 10 position. Um, if Nagby's out, that's where I think it gets a little bit more complicated for Caleb Porter. Um, I think we'd probably still see the same formation. Um, I, I don't see him like changing it to a 4-4-2 or something like that. Um, especially based on the fact that it did sound like he plans to have two defensive midfielders. Um, they were playing Zarek Valentin, who, who's never played D mid. Um, they were giving him a tryout uh, for that today at practice. And I think if Nagby's out, it is a real possibility that they'll look at Valentin um, at D mid. They could also potentially move Valentin back to center back and, and push Olam uh, up to defensive midfield. But I, I think that kind of leaves it up to a question um, for Porter as to whether he wants his center back pairing to be stronger or his um, central midfield pairing to be stronger because Valentin didn't look great in preseason um, at center back. And if Caleb Porter just wants to keep Olam and Miller who have done well together back there, uh, he might be more willing to risk uh, putting a guy out in uh, central midfield who is, is defensive minded, but has never played there. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be a difficult game for the Timbers. I expect a similar formation, um, if Nagby's in there, I, I think the lineup's fairly straightforward and is a lineup that the Timbers have used um, in some form or another in the past. Um, at least all of those players have played in, in those positions for the Timbers in the past. If Nagby's out, I, I think it, it complicates it a bit more. And when you look at the 18, the Timbers are going to have very, very limited depth. I, I was going through and I'm pretty sure that the Timbers will essentially have to use uh, the entirety of of uh, if Nagby is not in there, the entirety of their healthy, available uh, rostered players, uh, minus Kendall McIntosh, he, as the third goalkeeper, he'd probably be the one left out. But otherwise, they'll have to use every... Poor Kendall. Yeah, poor Kendall. Um, although I, I'm, not a conv- I'm not 100% convinced they won't just throw him in there if Chance Myers, <laughs> if Chance Myers can't Why make... Not? Well, if Chance Myers can't make the 18, they either go with 17 or throw Kendall in there to... <laughs> 
Give him a nice uh, day in the 18. Um, Might as well try, yeah, I suppose. I assume Myers will be available to come off the bench because he is healthy, just not anywhere up to match fitness. Um, but you have to include him, a guy coming off injury, for the Timbers even to fill out the 18 um, if Nagby's not in there. So it it's going to be a lot that the Timbers have to deal with. Um, but like you said, I think the one – uh, kind of hope for them is that Kansas City is going to be dealing with some significant, very significant absences as well. Yeah, you, you know, and as you sort of walk through the the couple different scenarios there, uh, first of all, as to the question, would you rather sort of have a patchwork uh, defensive midfield pairing or would you have a, rather have a patchwork uh, center back pairing? The answer to that question is decidedly neither. Um, there is, there is not any good, uh, choice there. Uh, that is pretty dire straits, frankly, to, to be perfectly honest. And, and so hopefully it doesn't come to that, even though with a sort of a Zavansky, uh, Nagby defensive midfield, I've got a lot of concerns, uh, about just where the sort of disruption, where the ball winning is going to come from. You know, Zavansky is a guy who can sort of competently keep shape. He is a guy who can be sort of a competent six. Uh, but he's not going to be a guy that, that's really going to be a disruptive force. Nagby obviously is much, much more of a tempo setter uh, and defensively is fairly limited uh, if he's in sort of a, a, an eight role. And so that is a very suboptimal pairing be- between the two of them. And so, yeah, I <laughs> I don't envy Caleb Porter in, in either uh, sort of instance because I, I don't think there are easy choices anyway uh, he goes. Oh, uh, I mean, what do you think about this game in light of everything that's gone down over the course of the last 10 days or so for the Timbers, in light of all of the disappointment in, in three consecutive games, that all of which were, frankly, very winnable, uh, how do you sort of assess this game? Is this a must-win or, or at least sort of a, a must-not-lose? If the Timbers go to KC and they lose, yes, they're looking okay in the table and it's not necessarily dire, but my goodness, that would be one point out of four games in which you would have otherwise been saying the Timbers really have an opportunity to rack up some points. Yeah. I, I don't like putting must win on games when they're not a hundred percent must wins and the Timbers are okay on the table, but yeah, um, this is a game where I, I think the Timbers are already in a position where you are starting to feel that they might be heading the d- direction of downward spiral and they have to find a way to snap that they have to find a way to um, prove that they can be a better team. And the way to do that is get a, get a big result, uh, get a big result in the road, snap a snap their losing streak on the road. Um, and just something like that is enough to maybe turn the confidence and, and get them playing the kind of soccer that they have shown they're capable of playing. Um, the injuries are going to complicate that, but I, I do think that this is one that if they don't get a result, I, I don't think, I don't look at it as a road game as a must win against the number one team in the West, but if they end up walking away with a loss, if they can at least pull out that draw, um, you start to really think that this team might be going um, into a downward spiral. And then if you couple that with Chicago before they have a little bit of time off, um, which is not going to get, be an easy game either. If they can't win there, if, if they maybe pull one point or zero points out of these next two games, I think, the conversation is really going to be what happened to this team and are they going to even be in playoffs? Um, 
even though the Timbers are in decent position, I, I think it's important to remember that the Western Conference is, first of all, not nearly uh, what the Eastern Conference is this year, and um, also very tight. And the Timbers could be below the red line, um, maybe even by the time after that Chicago game, depending on how well the results start to go. Yeah, and, and I think the downward spiral concern is a really reasonable one. Uh, that would be one point out of four games if they were to go uh, to SKC and lose, uh, in, in which they should they have absolutely no business only having one point out, out of those four games. Uh, and, and I think that would be sort of the conversation, certainly. And then you're right, if they were to compound it with uh, another loss or even a draw uh, next Wednesday uh, uh, against uh, Chicago, that's what the conversation would be over that two-week break, hey, whether this team is done whether they're cooked, whether, whether they, they, they're ever going to be able to pull out of this downward spiral. Uh, and those questions would be reasonable. Uh, I don't think that's a place where you want to be. And so, you know, I mean, that's fair to not say this is a must win or even a, a must not lose because, you know, it's not like the season's over. They would be, they would be in a hard way if they didn't get something out of this game. And, and it would be uh, certainly a pretty devastating blow uh, for them. So, you know, it, it's, it's an important game. This has some added importance and, when you're talking about a game with added importance and you're talking about starting Zarek Valentin at a position that he's never played before in defensive midfield, maybe grab a whiskey, folks. Um, Timbers questions. Let's get a few more. Uh, Joshua wants to know, can you explain the rules surrounding T2 call-ups uh, specifically for MLS games? And the answer to that is sure thing I can. Uh, for outfield players, essentially non-goalkeepers, uh, you can call you, you, So first of all, here's a starting point. If the player is on loan to T2, but is also a rostered first-team player, he can come up any old time you want. Uh, you can put put him in the 18 every day of the week if you want to. Uh, I mean, you know, as long as you play a game. Uh, so so that is easy. If it's a non-rostered, uh, non-first-team rostered T2 player, somebody like, you know, a, a Lamar Batista or, or maybe a, uh, a, a an Andre Lewis or, or a Villian Bijev or an Augustine Williams, uh, then, then you can do it only in very limited circumstances. And that is for outfield players. When you have fewer than 14 healthy outfield players, regardless of position, uh, that are healthy to play in the upcoming game. So that, I mean, essentially the Timbers would need to have, uh, a, a not, they, they would need to have basically not any ability to make, to sort of like make any beyond just the three, eight subs, I, I guess is a reasonable way to put it. But if you don't have, if you have, uh, fewer than 14 uh, outfield players, healthy and ready to play in the game, uh, you can call up from your T2 team uh, in order to sort of backfill the first-team roster. For goalkeepers, you have to have fewer than two, that makes sense, uh, in order to call up a, a T2 goalkeeper. I don't think, based on what we know of, of availability, uh, I don't think the Timbers will be there uh, this upcoming week, so I do not expect uh, that we'll see any T2 players uh, called up to the Timbers for the this game at Kansas City. Would you agree with that, Jamie? Just by my count, it seems like they're going to have either 15 or 16 healthy. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't think the Timbers would be in that position. I, I actually think, um, if I remember correctly, they might actually have even 18 um, available, um, 17 or 18 um, outfield players. Well, I, I guess I'm not – I guess 16 or 17 outfield players available. So – um, I, I don't think that that would uh, impact them. Yes, I, the rule is ca- is called like an extreme hardship call up, and so I think you can get a sense of how extreme that hardship has to be, uh, given that the Timbers' injury issues seem pretty extreme right now, uh, but not extreme enough, at least uh, to do any T two call ups. 
Uh, Chris wants to know, how much do you think uh, of the Timbers' defensive woes are down to mistakes by goalkeepers and resulting lack of confidence? I, I mean, I, I definitely think it's part partially um, the goalkeeper's fault. I, I think both Adonella and Gleason have made some bad mistakes um, in, in the last few games um, that have cost the Timbers goals and ultimately cost the Timbers results. I, I don't think overall um, Adonella and Gleason's performance has been terrible. Um, has been something you look to and say you, you just have to um, find another option because it's not working out. I, I think both those players have made um, very good saves for the Timbers, and Gleason continues to be a very, very good shot stopper for the Timbers. I, I think these are more recent things you're looking at where it really comes down to poor decision-making, um, poor decision-making and the inability to execute. And if if a player is – if for example, against Minnesota, when Adonello came out, if he's going to punch that ball away, he, he has to get to the ball um, if he's going to come out. Uh, he, he can't um, barely punch it out or not get to it. Um, so, yeah, there's been some mistakes. I have. I don't think it's to a point where you're wondering um, if, if the two goalkeepers don't have confidence anymore because I, I think they've still performed. Uh, and I think Gleason has still been a good shot stopper for the Timbers. But – decision-making has to be better. And um, that has definitely contributed to the defensive woes, particularly in recent weeks. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the goalkeeping situation has certainly been disappointing for the Timbers. So I don't mean to call that into question, probably more disappointing than disastrous, uh, but disappointing nonetheless. I'm not convinced there's been a ton of sort of infection uh, into the rest of the defense. I think that the, the back line has generally just had its own issues. Uh, and that has been certainly a problem for the, for the Timbers. It, it is notable, though, that, look, I mean, you know, sort of going back to the point from earlier, if games ended at 80, at 80 minutes, the Timbers would be leading the Western Conference by three points and, and, and would be, you know, uh, I, I think two or three points off the Supporters' Shield pace. That is notable. I mean, if, if the defense were that bad, and we know that in that sort of extra 10-minute uh, segment, 10-plus-minute segment thereafter, the Timbers have been sort of on an objective basis, uh, not great, but not awful. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, they wouldn't, if the defense was was truly terrible, they wouldn't be in, that, those, in those kinds of positions consistently in games to get those points. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know if, I, I think, A, it is easy sort of to overstate, and I, I think you see this overstated on Twitter basically every day, uh, the, the the Timbers' defensive woes. I think they've certainly been not good, and they've certainly been below average, and even at times well below average, uh, but not crippling, frankly. I, they, they, they could have overcome these uh, relatively similar uh, defense, defensive woes, and, and, and I'm not sure that the defensive woes they do have are necessarily that tied to uh, goalkeeping beyond sort of the obvious that we've seen uh, of goals that have been allowed uh, because of goalkeeping mistakes. And, and I think those are genuinely disappointing. Wes wants to know, this seems too knee-jerk, but should the Timbers training staff and training regimen be given a hard look in light of all the injuries? Jamie, what do you think about that? I, I'm not convinced this is something that comes down to the Timbers training staff. I, I mean, yes, it, that's something that could be looked at, but I, I don't see... Um, these injuries as, as being all of them being picked up in training, all of them being soft tissue injuries. I, I see there's contact injuries that are happening and they're happening in games. I, I, I don't feel like 
there is a, a, a disproportionate number of injuries that are being picked up in, in training, um, soft tissue type injuries, non-contact injuries that you start to wonder whether or not this has to do with a lack of preparation, a lack of training. Um, so I'm not convinced that this is a training regimen problem. Um, I, I think that one thing to always look at is, are they training, are players maybe training too much? Is that impacting them? Is the load too high? The Timbers do monitor those things pretty closely. Um, they, they have sports science um, scientists on staff to monitor that specifically so they're not overdoing the load. Um, and they get days off to ensure that they're, um, and days off as well as regen sessions to ensure that that's not happening. So from what I've seen um, within the training, I, there's nothing that stood out to me and based on what kind of injuries there are that have made me think that that that's the reason. And that's something to look at. Um, but obviously that's always a consideration when a rash of injuries do pop up. You know, I actually think it's not knee jerk at all. Uh, and, and the reason I think that is look, I mean, last year was another year in which the Timbers battled through an awful lot of injuries. And you're right to point out that not all of them have been soft tissue in injuries. And those are the ones that you would certainly, that, that are certainly more concerning from the perspective of a, you know, looking at sort of the training staff and training regimen and, and those sorts of things. But look, there have been a, there have been a good number of soft tissue injuries as well. I mean, there have been a good number of hamstrings. There have been a good number of quads from Darren Maddox. Although, you know, it takes a strong breeze to give Darren Maddox a hamstring injury. Uh, but Darren Maddox to Darlington Nagby, a guy that doesn't pick him up a whole lot. And now, now it seems to be getting some Diego Chara, uh, Liam Ridgewell, again, stiff breeze, but, but, you know, I mean, those are the kinds of things that, that do sort of start to mount when you see all of those things happening, uh, that I, 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 you know, I'm not going so far as to say it is definitely the training staff. I don't have nearly enough information to make a, a, any sort of, uh, take like that, but I do think that it deserves some scrutiny. I, this is something that, that we've seen now two years in a row. They were relatively healthy through much of 2015. 2016 was a borderline disaster as far as injuries go. 2017, at this point, I think it's fair to say, uh, is closer to a full-on disaster uh, as far as injuries go. And that is, that is a, a fair consideration to look at and to really scrutinize whether the training regimen and, and whether the training staff is doing enough to get these guys in, in a position where they're able to stay healthy. Okay, let's talk about the thorns. Although, in fairness, that's a little cheerier. Cheerier. That English is hard, people. Uh, Spirit 1, Thorn 0. <laughs> uh, that was not good. Uh, we both called wins in that game. We're running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to forego the predictions and just give our, ourselves, because we both called a win, uh, so give us both the zero points because we got nothing right. Um, yeah, no Mal Pugh in, in this, as you mentioned last week. Uh, Almondine Henri was limited to an hour as we discussed uh, coming off of uh, the game uh, against Sky Blue that she may be limited. She was limited, but but not she was not out. Uh, and then Sykes and Nadim each played 45 minutes uh, for the Thorns in the attack. I, I think the big question coming out of this, though, and, and certainly in light of the Sky Blue game the week before, is whether the Thorns attack is gone. Uh, and, and if it has gone where it's gone. Uh, I, I mean, do you think it's something that, that is more injury related or is this more of a sort of a structural, more permanent problem? I mean, I think injuries have to do with it. Um, but the, the biggest injury right now in the attack is Tobin Heath and the Thorns are absolutely capable uh, of playing without her. Obviously, Nadim is coming off an injury. Dagny, Brynja Stoddard is still working her way back. And then you have Henri. Um, 
but those players are coming back. So I am not concerned that injuries are going to remain a factor outside of Tobin Heath. And I, I think that this is a team that has shown they can be a very, very dangerous attacking team with the personnel they have and, and should, when you just look at their roster, um, be a strong attacking team, whether or not Tobin Heath's on the field, uh, even if Tobin Heath would make them significantly better. Um, I think maybe they've been a bit predictable in the last few games, in, at least in the Sky Blue game. I, I think Sky Blue did a good job uh, of figuring them out a little bit and, and shutting them down. I, I think in Washington, the Thorns honestly looked like they had just gotten off the plane. They, they just didn't have the energy that I think you expected out of them. And, and I think probably travel played a role in that um, because I, I just didn't think it was good performance all around from the thorns. And I, I don't think that necessarily spoke to a situation where Washington had figured them out or, or suddenly the thorns attack was predictable. I just didn't think they had a very good outing, um, which can happen, especially on a long road trip. Um, Mark Parsons has said that this is a team he wants he wants his team to be able to adapt to the situation. So if teams are starting to figure the thorns out, they need to be able to adapt. They need to be able to change their game plan, play to what the game needs. And Mark Parsons had prided himself on being able to put a team together like that. So I, I think this week is going to be a big test for them. Can they, after looking at the last two games, turn it around, um, adjust to the game when needed and find a way to grind out results and get goals in the attack. I think this team is capable of that. I, I don't, Injuries aside, I think they have the personnel um, to win uh, against any team in this league. So I still have confidence that this Thorns team can figure it out. And I've seen Mark Parsons put teams together and make them adaptable and, and kind of adapt to the situation. Though. So I think that they're capable of that. Um, but if we're looking back at the end of the week and like like we've been talking about the Timbers side, they're dropping more points. Um, I think there needs to be a bit more more scrutiny there. Yeah, I do think there needs to be a bit more scrutiny. I, I will note that in, an injury in particular to somebody like Nadia Nadim is really important to this attack, right? Uh, and having Nadim limited, not 100%, is important because, frankly, I mean, uh, with, without Heath, there's not a whole lot else that's going to stretch the field. There's not a whole lot else uh, that even playing from her less preferred wing position is going to give you that bit of directness and they're going to be really centrally oriented, and they're going to become pretty squeezable. Haley Rosso, I did not think, had her best game uh, against Washington, and, and, I, and I thought uh, Nadim looked pretty limited uh, and, and, and wasn't you know, a huge difference maker in, in, in that half. And so having her not 100% is, you know, in light of the other uh, issues, certainly uh, a, a, significant, a significant one. So I do think... Uh, that injuries even beyond Tobin's right now uh, are a problem uh, for the Thorns and, and are going to limit this attack. But I think ultimately you're right that this group is still capable of doing quite a bit more. This group is still capable uh, of being a much more dangerous attack than we've seen over the course of the last couple of games. And that's something that they're going to have to solve in short order, like 40 minutes from now. Um, you know, the, the other point that I think is worth mentioning I hate talking about this stuff because I think it gets so overplayed, but there was a minor disagreement uh, between Jim Guevara and and Mark Parsons after the game. What did you make of that? Is this much ado about nothing or is this just sort of, you know, sort of historical bitterness just popping under our radar and causing people to talk about stuff and things? Yeah, I, I, I think that just happens every so often. I, I, 
didn't read too much into it. Obviously, that's the place that Parsons used to coach. Um, there might be some underlying um, feelings around it. Um, but I, I just didn't read that much into it. I, I think that happens every once in a while. Um, and I'm sure it's something that blows over very quickly. Yes, the, there are underlying feelings there. We know we have heard that has been discussed in, in, in the past. I don't know. I, I just think things like this just sort of become catnip. Uh, and the, people talk about it much, much more than it's worth. And I, I didn't think there was much of anything there that was all that notable. It's not like anybody took a swing at anybody. It's not like any of that, any, anything like that happened. It was a little bit of an argument after a game between two competitive people, and that happens. Uh, Thorns, uh, FC Kansas City. Uh, it, we, because of the, uh, the wonders of time travel, uh, that is in, in the future when we're sitting here. By the time you're listening to it, though, it's going to be in the past. We're recording on Wednesday evening. It is, as I look at my clock, 619 right now. So the game kicks off in 40 minutes, and so we've got to get a move on. Uh, we don't know a whole lot more about sort of the injury issues and how that's come along, how much more Nadim is going to be available for, uh, how much more about Amandine Henri. Is there anything else we know from the weekend, or are we basically going into this just knowing what we know from uh, the trip to Washington? Yeah, pretty, pretty much the same. Uh, Mallory Weber, um, that ran a little under the we- uh, the radar, is out with a quad injury still, uh, remains out. And then, and then, of course, the players we know that have been out, Reynolds, Heath, Morris, are out completely. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of the minutes that Nadim and Henri are going to get, but but the expectation I, I think is that both of them will play. And then uh, Saturday, seven thirty, the Thorns make the trip up to Seattle to visit the Rain uh, in a game uh, that I mean, you know, in many ways it, it kind of feels like the Thorns are at a similar time in the season uh, as the Timbers. They've certainly looked good uh, for a period of time. Uh, they have certainly looked like they could be sort of a, a, a shield contending team for a period of time, but now we're in the midst of a, of a genuine funk, and you sort of look at these two games, you say neither of these are, are sort of straightforward, simple games, uh, and if things go poorly for the Thorns, the, the, we very well could be uh, next week talking about whether, you know, similarly, they're in, in a tailspin uh, like the Timbers are. Let's get to predictions just because we've got to get off to the game. Uh, Thorns, FCKC, uh, in the future, we're going to tweet these out so you can hold us to it. I mean, I guess you could hold us to it anyway because, like, we're recording this. Uh, But in any event, what is your call for the Thorns FCKC game? I I think the Thorns are going to rebound at home. Uh, They don't lose very often at home. That Sky Blue game was uh, a bit of an anomaly when it comes to that. And so I think they will rebound. And I think they will get a 1-0 win. Uh, that Kansas City back line is quite good. Um, and Razzo, who, did, like you said, didn't have a great performance, will also rebound. She'll get an assist, not a goal, though. Uh, okay. I give my prediction under protest because that's more or less what I was going to predict as well. Certainly the 1-0 part of it uh, was what I was going to predict just because that FCKC back line is pretty uh, stout. But nonetheless, I'm going to go then 2-1 to the Thorns. I think they will get the one goal victory out of it in any event. Uh, And I'm going to say Sykes is going to come up and score her first goal uh, in the Rose City. Uh, Timbers SKC. Yikes. Here we go. Uh, Like I said last week, um, those results, uh, I might need to be a little bit more pessimistic. And that is now (laughs) how I am very much feeling. Um, I I think SKC is going to decisively win 2-0. both goals are going to come after the 60th minute. The Timbers are going to put in a pretty good first half there and uh, keep things close. And then they're going to blow it after the 60th minute. And Kansas City is going to walk away with the win at home. Whatever would you make would make you think that is how that game is going to go. 
Um, I see your decisive SKC victory, and I raise you a super decisive SKC victory. Uh, I'm going to go 4-1 uh, to Sporting Kansas City. I think this is going to be bloody for the Timbers. I, I just think there are bad choices all around for Caleb Porter, given who's available. Uh, and, and I think they're near fatal uh, kinds of things. So I don't have a lot of faith in this Timbers team, especially a Timbers team that, that's shown itself unequivocally to be mentally weak, uh, to go to SKC in light of uh, all of the limitations they have and pull out a result. Uh, I do think Lawrence Olam is going to score for his former team against his other former team, uh, which means I think he's going to score a goal for the Timbers against his former team, SKC, uh, and that will be absolutely no comfort to anybody at all whatsoever. Uh, Thorns at Rain, Saturday, 7.30, as we noted, uh, up at Memorial. What do you say? Um, it's, it's not a place the Thorns have always done very well at. Um, Seattle hasn't been quite as good this year as they have in past years, however, uh, I think the Thorns are going to have a decent performance and, and they're going to pull out a 1-1 draw. Um, it, it's going to be overall a good week for them. And, and Christine Sinclair is going to kind of carry the Thorns on their back there and uh, get that goal. Your optimism makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I am going to go 3-1 rain over the Thorns uh, because I like everything is terrible. Somebody might want to like bring me some. I, I, like, yeah. I, I could really use like like a beer or something after the week that was, uh, and clearly that pessimism is bleeding over into my predictions for the next next week. I really hope I'm wrong about this, uh, all, all of this, but I'm going to say three one rain. Uh, but French is going to save a penalty. Uh, okay, uh, you know someone who did have some good weeks. These people that I'm about to discuss. Uh, that's because we're doing the fantasy update. Timbertown third place has jumped into the top three. That is lie with sixteen hundred and three points. Just one point uh, over fourth place, victorious secret FC. That is that is Christian at sixteen oh two, just outside the top three. But nonetheless, because I'm a merciful person, gets a mention on the podcast. Uh, second place, Beer City FC. That's Benjamin with sixteen hundred and fourteen points, and then top dog, still Big Hearts Brass Balls. Hmm, that's kind of an ironic name uh, given the current circumstances. That is Aaron sixteen hundred and sixty seven. Certainly the fantasy team with the Big Hearts and Brass Balls. The Timbers, eh, not as much. Uh, I'm down in 31st place. I had an okay week last week, uh, but not altogether great. Uh, but you know who had a very Timbersy week and who has really, really shown uh, generally a, a, a real shortage in heart uh, and, and mental <laughs> fortitude? Jamie Goldberg, still in dead last uh, because you don't play at all. Don't even bother to show up. Well, we appreciate that you all bothered to show up to Soccer Made in Portland this week. Uh, thank you for the questions. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, try to enjoy all of the soccer this week, certainly more so than you did last week. Hopefully we have better news by the time we are back uh, next week to talk about all of this and more. And until then, as always, take care. <laughs>